You are listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Happy New Year. I'm an unoriginal bastard, but I'm saying it. Happy New Year. Everybody says Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ryan. Happy New Year, Michael. I mean, what else are you going to say? I guess, what are you, you going to do? Uh, we're back. We're back, which means uh, thanks to you guys and the support that you've given us. If you're here for Tom Ellis, stick around. And uh, I hope you don't fast forward stuff and you enjoy the interview. and <laughs> You follow us uh, and uh, subscribe. Our socials are Ryan. Uh, at inside of you pod on Twitter, yes. at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That's true. That's true. And if you want to support the podcast more, there's patron P A T R E O N patreon.com slash inside of you to support the podcast. Like all these patrons have done Ryan, mm. uh, without them, without patrons, my lovable patrons who get their names shouted out at the end of every episode and get a lot of perks and prizes and things and th- love and nut- notes without them, I wouldn't be here. And this is, uh, really, um, I really appreciate you guys. Um, so happy new year. A lot have, has happened. You went off to Hawaii. Yeah, yep. That's where I had for, my holidays. You had your holidays, which were a mix of probably a uh, fun stress and, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it is, uh, it's Hawaii. I got to go in the ocean on new year's day. Why not? Why not? Hawaii not great. Why not? You were in the desert. Yes. Yeah. I was. Uh, I had back surgery during the holidays um, on the 18th, I believe, of December, and it's been rough. Mm. And, um, you know, my surgeon thinks everything's fine, so I'm not worried, but, you know, you saw how swollen I am, Mm -hmm. and it's like I have a tail back there or something. It's pretty rough. So I'm just trying to go with the flow, and uh, waking up is not easy. Uh, Then I start to feel better. Mm Mm-hmm. And I go in stages, but um, anyway, I'm just uh, glad I can walk, and hopefully things will will continue to ameliorate, <laughs> become better. Word of the year, Word already. Of the year. Word of the year, folks. Ameliorate. Already doing it. Ameliorate. Um, I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday. I really do. And um, thanks for making this podcast your podcast or one of your podcasts that you listen to. It means the world to me. We've got great guests. If you didn't get to hear the Keanu Reeves Dog Star episode, or um, we've had so many great ones, Jennifer Love Hewitt. We've got Tom Ellis today from Lucifer, who was just wonderful. Had him in the house, and uh, it, was, it was fun. He's a tall guy. Didn't realize he was that tall. <laughs> oh, Tommy Ellis. Tommy, you're tall, buddy. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much for everything. And want to give a, a, a little um reminder Kristen Ritter is going to be live with me live podcast at the Regent Theater downtown Los Angeles December and I believe that's December 20 or sorry January 24th mm. January 24th Kristen Ritter and me live there's VIP tickets available go to my link tree in my Instagram at the Michael Rosenbaum get tickets it's gonna be so much fun I'm gonna get one of those t-shirt guns where you shoot t-shirts out to people like last time, like last time, it almost uh, hurt someone. It's it's a dangerous thing. It is, but uh, I'm very for careful. as much fun as it is. Mm-hmm. I'm careful. Yeah, you wore goggles. I wore goggles. I was careful, <laughs> so you were safe. Mm-hmm. Can't say much for everyone in the front row, but yeah, True. You, you were safe. But have a cocktail. Yeah. Watch a live podcast. There's Q and A. There's a VIP meet and greet before the show. Um, and uh, get tickets now on my link tree at the Michael Rosenbaum on Instagram. And uh, 
By the way, there's tons of cool merch on the Inside of You online store. And I know this is probably a little longer of an intro, but it's the beginning of the year, so you can listen to it. Um, Sending a lot of patron boxes today, by the way, so I'm going to write a lot of notes to people of thank you notes. Because that's what the top tiers get. They get a box from me with goodies every couple of months, right? Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They also get a bonus episode, which we put on Patreon, which you and I are going to do after this. Yes, we are. Yes. So um, that's it, really. That's all I have. The Inside of You uh, online store. Great merch. Smallville stuff. Scripts. Blah, 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 blah. A lot of special guests coming up. We got Katie Sackoff. We got, uh, you know who we got? Hmm. Um, Edward Furlong. Yes. Boy, did he open up, man. Oh, man. I love Eddie. That Eddie was... Furlong. He was really good. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming up. I can't even tell you how many awesome guests are coming. So stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year for you. I know it. So just try to do, uh, you know, treat yourself right. Be good to yourself and try to be healthier and happier and be good to yourself. All that stuff, Ryan, right? Let's just try. It's I'm stifling a burp, but yes, let's you know, do it. stifle the burp, man, stifle or let it out. There you go. Let it go. Uh, that's it, man. Let's get into it. Um, lots to talk about with Tom Ellis. Let's get inside of Tom Ellis. It's my point of view. You're listening to inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. So the coffee's good. I made you some coffee. Yes, thank you very much. In a Cheech and Chong mug as well, which is you're a, uh, a pro. <laughs> you're Welsh? Well, um, you're born in Wales. I was born in Wales. And I am, when it comes to rugby, Welsh. Uh, and, I, you know, I say that I'm Welsh, but I moved from the from Cardiff into England when I was like two years old. Because my dad was a pastor, so we moved around a fair amount when I was a kid. Yeah, what's that about? Like, I read that your sister, your uncle, your dad are all Baptist ministers. That's correct, yeah. <laughs> are they still? Uh, my dad is retired, my uncle is retired now, and my sister uh, is no longer doing that, but she still attends the same church that she was a pastor at, but they had to make some changes during COVID. Is that pretty religious, Baptist minister? Is that like, I, I, I feel like... Look, I'm like I'm not very religious at all. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I believe in God, but I don't know what's the most religious or wh where on that spectrum is the extremeness of it. Yeah, are uh, they I well, I mean, I think Baptist in the states means something very different. When people think about Baptist, they think about the Southern Baptist movement, which is you know, right, evangelical kind of like you know, falling on the floor and having big loud songs. Praise Jesus! Praise, throw yeah, people in, yeah, all of that stuff, and that isn't what the Baptist church in the UK was like. The Baptist church in the UK was much more like a conservative, you know, my, my Sunday morning would be going, every, most people would be dressed in suits, that we'd be singing hymns to an organ. Um, and, you know, we got a bit progressive during my time there. And really? My mum started the mu a music group uh, where we played, you know, with electric guitars, I played the drums. My mum was a pianist and a, and a flute player. Um, is your mom with us? Yes, yes, She yes. is with you. Yes, okay. yeah. Um, That's good. She is. That'd be right. very awkward. <laughs> awkward if, it, if she uh, was. Yeah, no, but basically, yeah, it was not It was not the kind of connotation of Baptist that we know over in the States. It very much sort of, um, I mean, for want of a better word, it was quite boring. Was it? Yeah. Were you able, were, did they tolerate cursing? 
Not particularly. There was not a lot of cursing in my house when I was growing up. No, no, nothing. You couldn't even say "damn," could you? I mean, I could say stuff like that, but I certainly wouldn't say if I said "oh my god," that would get frowned upon. I think that changed. I think my parents sort of evolved as well as we got older. <laughs> yeah. But I think to start with, and certainly, you know, thinking about my dad's parents, uh, his mum in particular, they were very strict in terms of like what you could and couldn't say and how you should be as a person. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I couldn't even say she in regards to my mother in reference to my mother. If I go, well, she said, we don't refer to your mother as she. I'm like, well, her, no, we don't use uh, we used to say, pronouns. Used to a phrase in our house, where if you said she, the, my mum would go, who's she? The cat's mother. It was like this weird little thing that she would say. But anyway. <laughs> so were you guys, uh, was it, was there a lot of discipline? Were you like, it was, you know, uh, you know, was it, was it, or was it more a liberal, like, you know, there wasn't spanking? Cause I was spanked as a kid. Yeah. No, we didn't, we didn't ever have that at all. In no fact, rulers on the knuckles? None of that. No. Wow. I mean, my parents were, I felt like my parents were strict to a certain point, but again, as you know, I've got a twin sister and we've got an elder sister who's a couple of years older than me. And then my younger sister is a couple of years younger Gosh. than me and my twin. And I think as we sort of like hit our teenage years, one thing my parents did do is they, they encouraged us to be independent. Right. Um, and through that independence, we started mixing with other people, you know, not in the circles that my parents would mix in. And I think through that process, they kind of like slackened the reins as it were. And they... They evolved with us. So, I, th you know, I God, I mean, I would go out drinking when I was like 15, 16. And that was okay? <laughs> I'd go to the pub. I mean, it, it's not like they condoned it, but they also didn't stop me from doing it. You know, I was ne we, like, I had friends that would get grounded. You know that phrase Is that over the term here? you used, grounded? You're grounded, that's what we, that's you're what we grounded for two weeks. And yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. we never had yeah. any of that at all. It was, it was, I think that they just installed in us a trust that we would do the right thing in any situation we'd be in. Yeah, you seem like a like you know. I, I heard this from like. Of course, I text Tom Welling. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh, I, and I what text did he say? Amy Garcia, and I mean, it was just like you know. It, like, honestly, I was like, Tom, come on, like, this guy's that nice. <laughs> it's like like I, I hope if someone asked about me, you'd be like, he's great, he's giving, he's got a big heart, but you know, he could be a little bit of a dick sometimes. I mean, we could all be dicks, but like nothing, like <laughs> like Amy said something like. He would breeze through scenes like a dance. I mean, she's very poetic. <laughs> Great singer and dancer, total showman, contagious laugh, never broke character. I'm the opposite. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking. Oh, really? was like, yeah, well, I, I mean, I always would goof around and stuff. And when the camera, when they'd say action, I'm very yeah. into it. But I, I would break and stuff like that. Um, and she said, even though he was in every scene doing stunts, rehearsing songs, emotional scenes he always made time to dance with me in between takes is that true do you remember that uh, yeah i do and it, not that i made time for her it's that amy if anyone knows amy <laughs> i do they know that she's a little bit like a little kid that's like pulling on your sleeve going yeah, let's do something let's do something and that was kind of like her energy you know in between scenes and i i found a way to kind of like i guess amuse that or kind of indulge that which was to which, which was to learn dances with her for no specific reason there was no kind of like end of show like we're gonna do a show and tell of the dance moves we're doing we just would learn some choreography for the sake of it we didn't have to do it for the show at one point and that was like we felt like two competition winners it was brilliant so you're a dance you're, you're a dancer I mean, I was never f formally trained in dancing but we did a bit of it uh, at drama school and it's always something that I have enjoyed, I guess. I mean, I'm, I guess I've got rhythm because I was a drummer and a musician. 
Um, was it natural up. to you? Did you pick it up pretty quickly? It's pretty natural to me, yeah. Because when you start at a young age, it's a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'm not like it's not like I'm like fully disciplined in 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 dance. But I I can pick it up. Like if I was to do one of those shows where they where they teach you to dance for a few weeks, you could do it. I probably like could Dancing do it. with the Stars. Yeah, except you would I'm, never do that. No, me I was neither. approached. I was approached quite heavily in the UK to do their version of it. Um, we'll give you lots of money, which they don't. No, they don't give you lots of money. And it's just, no, I, I just, I would love to do it if there was no TV cameras there. I would love to have that one-on-one training and that kind of, you know, learn that discipline. That would be amazing. Because you're, would you say you're a, a bit of an introvert or a shy person with like, uh, you know, you could be fun and all these things, but are you sort of a private person? I've gotten more private as I've gotten older. Um, I think that, I think that I'm an extrovert because I get energy, I get energized from other people. Um, my wife and my mum think that I am an extroverted introvert. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I've certainly changed as I've gotten older. Um, being in the public eye as well, like the more you're in the public eye, the less you want to give. Yeah. Because you just feel like everyone just wants a piece of you and like things like social media and stuff. It just, you're constantly putting yourself out there. Um, and you know, with kids and, and uh, other things in my life, I'm like, I, I don't want to be so transparent anymore. I do miss the days. Right. I remember growing up and going to drama school and stuff. And people used to talk about the, the most wonderful gift for an actor was to have anonymity because then people can buy into any character that you're playing. And these days it seems to have been a seismic shift the other way where it's like you're doing, you know, you're in a show or you're doing a film and they want you to be on social media all the time, push, 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 but not in the character in the film, but as you. And and you feel like you're giving that away. I feel like, yeah, you're giving away like your tricks, basically. You're giving away your energy. The thing that you bring to a character um, is unique to what you have inside of you. And the more you give of, of yourself, I feel like the less people can make that differentiation. Right. And have, but like, for example, people have a hard time if I play an American character. Um, not because my dialect's bad, I think, but mainly because they think, oh, it's weird because you're British and like we're used to you talking this certain way and I just can't do that thing. And it's like, yeah. for me, that's a frustrating kind of reaction because yeah. it's like, but I'm an actor. So my job is to embody whoever it is I'm playing and for you to believe that. Yeah, because in the old days, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking like early 2000s yeah. before cell phones, you, if they saw an English actor playing a role, they they don't know if he's English. They yeah. don't know if he's American. They don't. So there's a mystery of it all. Yeah. But with social media, it's kind of uh, it's erased that mystery. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all my cards are out on the table. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, man, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's Rosenbaum, and oh he's doing an English accent. Not very <laughs> good, brother. You know. So yeah, I, I can understand that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy. Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. 
And at times, we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. A lot of people will say that the um, what's the word like you know the the old school actors they're the the old the old um, you know the Harrison Fords the real movie stars the stars there yeah. aren't many around anymore no do you agree with that I do actually to a certain extent and I, I the, the weird thing is that the stars the movie stars don't tend to have an awful lot of range within their performances, apart from a, a select few that would be known as character actors. Right. But like people like Tom Cruise, who I think is still one of the you know few movie stars out there now, Brad Pitt, you know, they're very similar. In, when, you, when you can see Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, you kind of know what you're going to get, but you don't care because they're a fucking star. Right. And, uh, and then you get the kind of tear down from that. Um, and that used to be that you could play whatever role was given to you. Um, but now it seems like people, if they know too much about you, they have a real hard time buying into that range. Yeah. I guess that could be a little upsetting. Do you do a lot of dialects? Like a lot of, uh, I mean, cause you're, you know, born in Wales, moved yeah. to Cardiff. I mean, what are the ones that you have, if you could jump into for a role at any time, you think? The UK is quite an interesting place. Such a small place. So many different dialects, and you're talking about like moving 20 miles up the road, and the dialect has changed. Crazy. And so, you know, growing up in that sort of melting pot, uh, it, it was it was a, a skill, I guess, that I had. Um, and I realised when I got to drama school, not everyone had that same skill. And I think it's like a musical ear or something. Good ear, yeah, yeah. But it's just. Um, yeah, a dialect work is something I've, I've always done, you know. Uh, when I did my first kind of like big role out here, I was American in it. <clears throat> Were you <clears throat> nervous about it at all? I, I was to a certain extent, but I was also in a sort of, <laughs> being an actor is a bit like sport. It's a confidence-based industry. Yeah. And so I, I had just literally finished doing a play in London where we, it was an American play, um, and it was part of this American family in the play, and we had an American director, um, an American dialect coach, and so I very much felt confident about being American at that moment in time. And so when this this audition came up, I had to make a tape for it. 
I didn't have those qualms. I didn't have those self-doubt things. Right. I just kind of went for it. Um, and then subsequently got the role and then made a decision that I, the younger me would have gone, oh, my God, you've turned into one of those actors. But actually, I appreciate now why I did it. When we were shooting, I get picked up in the morning and dropped off at night. And from the moment I got picked up to the moment I got dropped off, I would stay in dialect. I'd still be Tom. Method. Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I wouldn't be the character, but I kept the American dialect up because it was easier for me to do that to then not think, to, to, to then not be judging myself. Like I sort of was a bit like, oh, you're a bit of a dick for a few days for doing this. But actually it worked for me. It worked on my behalf and, and it made the job easier for me in that regard. Right. Where, where am I from right now? When you're dealing with an industry like this, you have to have a great ego. And Francis Ford Coppola has an ego the size of San Francisco. So you are from America doing an English <laughs> Wait, wait, let me do it better. When you're dealing with an industry like this, you have to have a great ego. Is that better at all? That is, actually. And, uh, your your dialect there is kind of like London, around the London yeah, area. You're right, home see? Counties, yeah, you're right, That's Gary Oldman in yeah. an interview once. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't try to do the English accent. The That's good, though. Yeah, if I could just stay there. Yeah, I mean, I'll use that as your starting point. Because I think I feel like a lot of American actors that I've worked with, when they try and do a British accent, it, they fail miserably. Why? That's the thing I can't understand. Because you know what it is? Maybe they're trying to do a different voice and not their own. I think that's what it is. Because if I'm like talking like this, I should just talk, you know, talk like this, like yeah. I'm talking. But if I start going, yeah, everything is like this now, and yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah. like that, I'm a different person. It becomes like a caricature as yes. opposed to that being that person. I always remember about that play that I was doing before I came over here. The American, the American director at one point, about two weeks into rehearsals, it was like, guys, stop, 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 stop. Okay, y'all have to stop being British actors with American dialect, and you have to start being American. Wow. And um, we were like, whoa, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and he, was, he went on to explain that, you know, it's not just about putting on a voice. It's about, you know, certainly uh, Americans compared to British, it's, it's an attitude difference. There's a kind of like, there's a, an overall energy, the way you articulate and gesticulate and stuff. It, yeah. It's not just about doing a voice. What's, a, what's a, a, a word or something that it's the, if you ever watch your performance, you go, I heard something in there. Oh, let me think about I that. Heard, I heard a little English. There's a, there's a few uh, There's a few ones. One is the um, in, is in. So like, I've, I, I've been here. Americans, I've been here. I've been here. But the bean and the bin is a big giveaway for me. Uh, and you've done that before? I've done that before and been picked up on it. I remember a voice coach picking me up on it. I was like, got to remember that one, got to remember that one. Um, sure. Sure, you like sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure is a kind of thing because you can also say sure, <laughs> sure, uh, sure, but sure and sure, um, two ones that you can use, but you've got to be consistent with the one you're doing, <laughs> right? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, but those are good ones, yeah. Can yeah. you do an Irish accent pretty easily? Uh, yeah, uh, where from northern or southern? Northern, um, so your man from Belfast, there, he, he you know. I had a couple of mates from Belfast when I was at Glasgow, and you know it's it's all up in here and up in your lilt. Uh, yeah, up there, you know, and your man over there, it's like really putting on things like that, you know. And Scots more from the back of your throat. Uh, Scots, Scots is Scots. back there. Glasgow's all all back there, and um, 
the difference between like Glasgow on the west coast and Edinburgh on the east coast. Edinburgh's a, a wee bit more sing-songy. It's a wee bit more like floaty in the clouds and stuff like that, you know? Uh-huh. You can, eh? Whereas Glasgow's like fucking down here and, you know, people talking to each other and just fucking seeing you, you big wank. <laughs> <laughs> you sheep stealing, hooring bastard. <laughs> exactly. Uh, who's, who, who's your favourite actors growing up? Uh, so the, I, there's probably two or three, right? Um, I would say Ken Branner, without a shadow of a doubt. Wow. He was someone that made Shakespeare make sense for me, which was a big deal when I was at school because we, you know, we had to do it as English literature as part of our, you know, basic schooling in the UK. And I remember reading Romeo and Juliet when I was like thirteen, going, "What on earth is everyone on about?" I, I just couldn't, <laughs> didn't have a clue. Um, and then I remember he did a movie of Much Ado About Nothing, um, and I watched it. It was him and Emma Thompson playing Benedict and Beatrice, and they were just. So Kenneth Branagh, Brant, you say Branagh? Branagh, yeah. Branagh. Branagh. Uh, I, was, I used to say American. I was like, Kenneth Branagh is a really good actor. Branagh. Branagh's a really good. <laughs> do you pronounce the A-U-G-H, Branagh? <laughs> is it like Laura Branagan? Remember Laura Branagan, the singer? Who, no, who's that? She sang um, Gloria, Gloria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they got That was Laura Branagan. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so him, Branagh. Ken Branagh, for sure. I just, I just his ease on on screen and that i think that's the thing about actors that i like you feel at ease in their company when you're watching them have um, you worked with them i've never worked have you with met him. him never met him you'd love that i would you? love it i would love it um i think he's wonderful and it, again a proper actor incredible range you see him play other parts you see him play he's it, it, he's just brilliant at everything he does um tom hanks yeah. Big influence on me. I just, I loved him, loved watching him, loved all his movies. Um, and then as I sort of evolved and um, started to think about acting myself, there's a stage actor in the UK who's now done a lot of screen work called Mark Rylance, who was just unbelievable when you watch him on stage. Mark Rylance. Unbelievable. He's in, I think the most famous thing he's done over here was probably Bridge of Spies. Mm. Um, with Tom Hanks. With Tom Hanks, yeah. Um and uh, I know I know the writer of that movie actually, and we I, we were chatting about it. I was like, "You were on set with Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. What was it like?" He said, "I was literally pinching myself every day. Couldn't believe it." Um, but I think those certainly those three people, um, and then you know, actresses wise, I think Emma Thompson. I've always loved, Brilliant. always always loved her, and of course, Dame Meryl Streep. Oh, who's just or Judy Dench? Or Judy Dench? But I, I, I love Judy Dench. But you like, but I think Meryl, Meryl Streep. I remember watching Kramer for, versus Kramer for the first time. Oh, and both of them in that movie were just Dustin electric. Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. it was. Now you say these are all your favorite actors, actresses. I think actors. You just say actors now, don't mm-hmm. you? But do you like? Would you be nervous working with them? And do you get nervous while you're working? Do you get the nerves? Are you so confident that you're you don't you learn you learn lines easy? You. Uh, is the the process or process as the Canadians say? <laughs> I mean, do you do, like? Is it? Do you still get nerves? Do you still get nervous about stuff? For sure. I mean, I think the biggest gift that happened in the last few years to me was was doing the show Lucifer and being that character for like six, seven years and going to that same set every time. And time on set was just like priceless. It is, and I think that. You know, that certainly took my confidence to a different place. I didn't feel, um, 
like I think there's there's a lot of imposter syndrome that happens in acting. I know. And and I I used to feel that all the time because you go from job to job to job to job, and every time you start a job. I think my biggest pressure that I'd have on myself is I just want the other actors in this to think I'm a good actor. Yeah. And um, I I think I still, you know, I think every actor still probably has that. Yeah. But if you've been, if you're going back to a place repeatedly, you lose that. Um, and you, you just sort of, I don't want to use the word autopilot, but you go into a, a comfort zone where you know the character so well that you are not second guessing any choices um, and you're just you're just doing and being, which is the perfect state to act in. Right, but the second you get another part that's yeah. different, it starts over again. Well, we, had, we had a weird experience actually on the penultimate season of Lucifer because I played. They asked me to play my twin brother in it as well, um, and so I was you know trying to sort of make some differences between these characters um, with the small amount of time that I had to kind did of you change really your voice. I did. Well, I gave him an American dialect. Um, I changed his physicality slightly. Um, and I remember like being on the set and I, you know, all these people I've worked with for five years and then I had to do this character for the first time. And that's when I felt like the imposter syndrome kicking in. Cause I was like, you get the tingle. People are not going to buy this, you know, lots of self doubt. Um, but thankfully people that around me that I knew were not judging me specifically. And, um, I just, you know, you just have to go for it in, in those circumstances. Yeah. Were you? Uh, I hadn't felt like that for a long time. Really? Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, in this household and growing up at the church and all these things, but again, progressive, mm -hmm. you know, and you were in, playing music and all that. Were your parents, A, surprised that you went into theater? Were they a little bit worried about it? Did they, were they, did you have their blessings? Mm -hmm. How did they feel? Was your dad hoping you'd get more into the church? <laughs> I think my dad probably realized very early on in my life that I was not going to follow in his footsteps. Because um, you told him. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm not doing well, this. Because it used to be a question I was asked a lot by people. Oh, are you going to follow in your father's? Are you going to be, you know, be a man of the cloth and all those things? I was like, nah, it's not for me. Um, but I weirdly, I, <clears throat> I didn't sort of, I stumbled across acting really at the end of my high schooling. Um, I was really into sport and I played lots of different sports. Cricket? I was into cricket, rugby, yes. football. Yeah. All when you say it. football, you mean soccer. I mean, yeah. I mean, I soccer. just want to clarify for the <laughs> Americans out there. Not the pigskin. <laughs> no, um, right, right, right. But, and, and I just, uh, you know, I knew that I wasn't good enough at the sports that I played to pursue them, but I still wanted to be involved in that kind of realm. And I, I decided that I was going to get into physiotherapy. And, you know, if I can't get on the pitch as a player, I can get on the pitch to help a player. <laughs> sort wow. of thing. Wow. Um, and, and then I got to the end of my high schooling in the UK, the last two years in the UK, um, is called sixth form and you do what they call a levels, which is like, you choose three subjects that basically are, are, are sort of funneling your education towards what you, what you want to do at university or tertiary education. Most of the time that changes. Yeah, of course. Right, and right. so like, I took these three subjects and one of them was history cause I'd really enjoyed it in my previous years at school. And about two or three weeks into it, I just was like, I don't, I'm not enjoying this at all. This is not the place I want to be at. So I dropped it. And then my tu my sixth form tutors were like, well, you have to do a third subject. So what are you going to do? And I really didn't know. And then my old English teacher, Claire, came. And Mr. Claire? No, or? Miss Claire Pender. Oh, Claire Lovely Pender. Claire Pender, Miss Claire Pender, who's Pender. a big hero of my life. <laughs> she, um, she came and found me uh, in the sixth form common room. 
And she was like, Tom, I've heard you're looking for a new subject. I'm running the theatre studies class and I've got 12 girls and one boy at the moment. I need boys. And I was like, well, how many girls? Uh, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) And you're going on a bonding weekend away in a week's time. Brilliant. Um, So I, for all the wrong reasons, like thought, oh, I'll have a go at that. Um, And I went, started doing these theatre study classes and all of a sudden it felt like a glove that fit me. And I just was really enjoying the classes. You know, I, I wasn't particularly successful with any of the girls, but I had a great time working with them and, and all of that stuff. And I just really got into it. And then Claire Pender, again, uh, they were doing a school play that year, and I'd never done a school play before. Um, and she wanted to cast me in the lead role for it. What role? Uh, it was John the Witch Boy in a, in, a show, in a play called Dark of the Moon that was set in the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> Wow, I'm guessing this was not a comedy. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, and it and uh, <laughs> and I played this this witch boy John who fell in love with a girl called Barbara Allen. Um, Barbara Allen, uh, wow. and um, and from doing that, a, a friend of mine's mum, who used to be an actress, came to see the play, and she called me the day after she came to see it, and she said, "I saw you in the play last night." I really think you should think about doing this as a profession. So um, uh, her and Claire, my drama teacher, both kind of really encouraged me to audition for drama school. If um, they would have said, not if they hadn't said that, yeah, do you think you still would have? I, oh God, good question. I don't know. I know there was a girl in the play that I was doing the play with who played Barbara Allen, and she had loved drama her entire life. And she was always going to be an actress. Um, and she said to me, um, I'm going to go and audition for this thing called National Youth Theatre, uh, which is like a summer course, a residential course in London. Um, and uh, do you want to come to the audition? So I was like, eh, that sounds fun. And by this point, you know, the bug had really bitten me. And I was right. like, okay, I'll give that a go. And I went to audition for this thing and I got a place, which was like, you know, really good going basically at that stage in my very early career. Um, and I went down to London that summer for like three weeks and just met loads of people, all who wanted to do the same thing, all like-minded. I just had the best time. You became a thespian. I became a thespian. You exactly. were a thespian. Uh, and, you know, from that, you know, loads of these people were either already at drama school or were auditioning for drama school the next year. And that was the thing that really spurred me on. I said, right, that's what I'm going to do and audition for it. And then Claire Pender spoke to my parents and said, I really think, you know, you should encourage Tom and to, to go and do this because I think he's got a real chance. And they did. They paid for me my train fare to get to all these little auditions around the country. Did you book any? And I got, yeah, I got in. I got into the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama in right. Glasgow. And that's... That's where it all, you know, I did three years there and then it kind of like seamlessly segued into starting to work. And it was really weird. Once I'd sort of decided I wanted to be an actor and lots of actors will hate me for this, it was kind of seamless. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you with me. <laughs> it, it really was. Yeah. It was, I finally found something that people responded and liked what I was doing yeah. and it felt good, this instant gratification immediate i i felt like i'm doing something right for the first time in my life not being me is the way to go and it just it just kept going from there and i and i felt it probably my junior senior year in college when i was doing a lot of theater i 
felt it. And I remember telling Alexis Combs, we're sitting on her uh, doorstep, and she goes, are you nervous about going to New York? You know, Bob, and I said, I want you to remember this conversation. I'm going to make it. And I know you're thinking, oh, everybody says that. Mm -hmm. Oh, another, you know, I'm going to make it this, this. I go, no, 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 just watch. I just see it. I see it. Yeah. I could feel it. I, it, there was a certain energy that I had that I didn't care about the statistics of who makes it and who doesn't. Yeah. I just was so, I wish I had that now, but it was just so, I was so determined, but so confident yeah. in whatever ability I had at the time. And it was crazy. And did you feel that a little too? I did. Yeah, no, I did. And it's, it's a strange kind of, it's almost like having a faith. It's almost like you yeah. know, being really kind of religious about you know whatever religion you're into, but like Baptist. having that comfort, Baptist. having that kind of like over overwhelming feeling that everything's going to be all right with the decision that you've made. Um, it's that, rare. It is rare, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know what it was, but I do know that I always had that feeling. And even when I started acting, I always had this feeling that I was going to work and. I, you know, it's a weird coming from the country that I come from because people will probably accuse you of being arrogant for saying something like that. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't about arrogance. It was about, it was about self-belief and confidence. Self-belief. Yeah. Because the thing is, if you are going to go into this ridiculously competitive industry, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that what you have is unique and what you can offer is different to everybody else. And it doesn't make you right or wrong or better or worse, but it's unique. And that's the thing that you have to really kind of hold on to. It's the hardest thing to hold on to when you're being rejected constantly. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're not going to back you, then no one else is. Were you one of those actors or are you, in the beginning where you're like, I just love acting. I want to do theater. I don't care about because there's a lot of I, I don't want to do TV or movies. Or were you sort of like, because I was always like, I want to be in the movies. I want to. I love theater. I did theater. And then I was like. Wow, TV's kind of fun. Movies are fun. I just and I never went back to the theater. Yeah. Because it's it's tedious. It's really like, you know, you do eight shows a week and for me it'd be my nerves on edge every all day yeah. every day and I just don't think, you know, that's how much I put into it and how much I thought about it all the time. But were you someone who wanted to just act whatever it was? I mean, certainly my early experiences were only on stage. Um, and like going into drama school, it was just about that. It was about doing theatre, different types of theatre, but like theatre. And then towards the end of the course, you know, you'd get the odd person that would come in and you'd do a day's workshop talking about working on in front of camera and stuff. And it, it's so ridiculous looking back at it because the reality is if you go to drama school, when you come out of drama school, probably about at least 75% of your work is going to be on screen. Um, and I, I hadn't really thought about that side of it. I, I know that I loved theater, but I was really open to all of it. I remember someone coming into drama school to like, to just talk to us as final year students and saying, your first couple of years out of here, take whatever comes in your direction. Don't be picky. Don't be this. Don't be that. Just Good take advice. what comes. And, and it's exactly what I did. And I learned, you know, that I enjoy you know, working on camera. I, I enjoy being on set. Um, and I still love going to the theater and I still love being part of a play. And, um, as the years have gone on, you know, I've done probably three professional plays in 20, nearly 25 years. Wow. And the rest of it has been camera work. Um, 
And that's not necessarily by choice, because one thing I do know is that I will always go back to the theatre. I'm, I'm at a stage now where I'm like plotting when that's going to happen next. But for me as an actor, I kind of feel like theatre is like rehab for acting when you've done a lot of work on set and on screen. Um, you, you, you know, things like the rehearsal room and that space for like four weeks, it feels like a gift these days because you have zero rehearsal time when you're, when you're, certainly when you're doing a TV show, you really, you rehearse on the day and then, you, you know, for like 20 minutes and then you show it to a crew and yeah. it's like, this is how we're doing it. And yeah. you have to have made a lot of choices and decisions and things before you've even got there. Whereas that exploratory sort of, you know, going into the rehearsal room, finding things, trying things out, building it all from the ground up and then presenting it. Um, and then having the immediate audience, you know, gratification. If you're in a comedy, getting a laugh, it's like the biggest thing yeah, in the world. And I love that side of it, absolutely. But then you, I remember the grind. I remember like doing the eight shows a week and, you know, you're in a theatre production, you're like, Jesus, how long have we got left? Another six yeah, weeks of this. How am I going to do that? Thing, day in, day out. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know like, like every actor, never pleased, never yeah. happy, <laughs> never, never fully satisfied. Yeah. But I love all of it. And I'm glad that I started in the theatre. Yeah, that's good. Anybody you worked with or went to school with, um, have they had success? Oh, sure. I mean, my best friend at drama, or one of, I had sort of a circle of very tight friends at drama school, um, but one of them was James McAvoy. Oh, wow. I uh, don't know if you've heard of him. But yes, I've heard of James McAvoy. <laughs> and we're still, you know, really good mates. We don't see each other as much as we used to because, you know, we live in different sides of the but world. But you acted with him on stage. Oh, yeah. I did my first ever professional gig with James, which was a panto, a pantomime, sorry, in uh, in Kirkcaldy, in Faith, in Scotland. Uh, it was our final year of drama school, and the drama school were doing a pantomime, because that's a big thing in the UK. Um, and But they said to any final year students, if you want to audition for any professional pantos, you're allowed to do that. So James and I both auditioned for this panto, Beauty and the Beast, and we both got it. And so, and we, it was a musical. It was musical. Pantos have always got music in them. Yeah, pantos. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know that. And uh, and they've always got like <laughs> they've always, they've always got like stock characters in them. Whatever the story is that year, it's always a fairy tale. Do you still remember the the songs, the music, all that? If I were a bell, which is from oh, I can't remember that which musical that's from originally, but that was in R one. I remember my song that I had to do was a um, a house is not a home, a chair is still a chair. Burt Bacharach. House is not a home, is that right? A chair is still a chair, even if there's no one sitting there. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, so weird. It's Did weird you always have that like ear for like being on key? Is that something that you're born with? Because I, I, I a lot of times I have a band and sunspin, and you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, uh, a home is not a home, and my Rob will go off key, smile, <laughs> smile, smile when you're saying. A home is not a home. Not in every line. Why are you doing an English accent? <laughs> a home is not a home. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. don't, but I have to work at it and I have to really learn. I don't have that ear. I could sort of, I sort of do, but. Well, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say I've got perfect pitch by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, my mum was a, mu a music teacher. Oh, there you and go. so we all in my family, you know, music was around us all the time and we were. <laughs> for want of a better word, lumbered with instruments that our parents chose for us as we were growing up. So I played, I started on the cornet when I was five years old. The cornet. Which, the cornet, which is a small trumpet. Yeah. And then moved up to the trumpet when my hands got a bit bigger. 
And then, my, <laughs> then this is giving insight into my parents. They made an executive decision on my behalf when I was nine years old that I should change from the trumpet to the French horn because it would give me more opportunities in life. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's how your parents... Oh, my God. That's brilliant. <laughs> so um, We believe the French horn is going to get you more work. <laughs> Are you are you fucking crazy? <laughs> um, so yeah, so you did that. You played the French. So I played horn. the French horn. You play guitar too, by the way. Yeah, I I, I sort of a self taught guitarist. So I don't know. I don't know the guitar in and out. And I, again, that, if my parents if I go back and my parents gave me a choice about instruments, knowing what I know now, guitar. I would have said guitar and piano. Stick me on those, and yeah. the rest will take care of itself. Because I'm always envious of anyone that can sit at a piano and just uh, start. I know. Tinkling. I'd like to learn, but I think it's too late now, isn't it? I mean, to be a pianist. I just wanted to say that word. It's too yes. late to be a pianist. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's well, too late to be a pianist. It's too, it's too late. late. <laughs> Who sings that song? Actually, uh, it's too late to compromise. Uh, too late. Who is it? One Republic. One Republic. Nice, Ryan. Go. Nice, Ryan. Without a microphone. Thank you, Ryan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ryan. You really did yourself. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. yeah. Not projecting. Good. Uh, go. He's projecting. He's got no microphone because he's private, Ryan. Yes, he's private, Ryan. There we go. We should save him from the rest of this conversation. <laughs> Saving private, Ryan. Um, <laughs> what an idiot. I like student jokes. I, I, like, like, I, I like, like dad jokes. I love dad jokes. What's your favorite dad joke? Um, two fish in a tank. One says to the other, so how do you drive this thing? <laughs> that's good yeah or uh, my my uh my daughter my youngest daughter marnie it's all got an incredible sense of humor she came back from a school camp the other week i've got to say this because it just made me laugh so much she came back from a school camp the other week and she said dad i told that joke you told me years ago and the teachers loved it and i was like what was the joke and she went you know what's the difference between a range rover and a hedgehog with a hedgehog the pricks are on the outside I was like, you're talking oh about your teachers. Oh my God, that's and she awesome. was like, yeah, they loved it. Oh, so the proud of The pricks are on the outside. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> no, if you're driving a range. Yes, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, we got to get into Lucifer a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, what a huge success and like a, a huge fan base. Like I remember watching that it was Netflix when Netflix took over. First of all, how rare is it for a show to where Fox said they didn't want to go on and yet they found a home at Netflix that that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Usually a show's over, it's over. We'll, we'll take the five seasons and we'll air those. Yeah. And they wanted another season out of it, right? Well, we'd done by that point we'd done 3 seasons. Just 3? Yeah, we'd done and the first season was like what they call like a, a half season, so it was 13 episodes and then we did two of the full, you know, 22 episodes biggies and then they canceled it. Uh, how how did you feel by the way when that happened? Oh, I honestly I was gutted. I was I was I was at a fan convention in Rome having the time of my life and like having, you know, I had spent a whole weekend of people just confessing their love for the show and like talking about the show and blah 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 and it was, you know, I was thousands of miles from where we'd filmed this thing thinking my goodness isn't it strange that we'd like we've got this fan base that's growing and growing and growing and growing. And then literally I was in the minibus on the way back from the convention to the hotel we were staying at. And I got a call from our showrunner saying that Fox had just canceled the show. Uh, and I just, I was crushed. 
I like I was so like I was thrown. I just didn't I I didn't expect it to happen, and I was I was yeah I was pretty devastated. <laughs> I'm not gonna did, lie. Did you have to do a Q and A after that? <clears throat> no, that was I. So I just done. I think I just done my last day. Uh, Thank God. I know. How are we going to keep a straight face? Like, yeah, I hope it goes forever too. I know. Well, the whole weekend had been about people going, when are we going to hear about season four? When are we going to hear about season four? And I was like, very soon, very soon, don't worry. And then I got the call and it was like, oh my God. Um, But how long after did you get the call saying, hey, they're trying to get this going? Well, here's the weird thing. So I I traveled back to London uh, from Rome and I was just, you know, gutted and I was talking to people on the phone and whatever. And then... I found out that 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 was on like the Monday or Tuesday. And I found out that Fox still hadn't announced that they were going to cancel it yet. Um, So we knew, but no one else knew. And then, uh, then someone tipped me off. I'm not going to say who, but someone tipped me off that Fox had planned to kind of bury the news of the cancellation by announcing something else at the same time. Uh, that following weekend. Oh, or their new show replacing yeah. Lucifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, yeah, yeah. All of that. And I was, you know, I had a lot of emotion going on, a lot of these things, and I decided <laughs> that I would take it upon myself to tweet that I had found out the show had been cancelled, and I was absolutely gutted, and I'm sorry to everyone. And I did Good that. Good move. I did that before Fox the announcement. Before the announcement. Were they pissed? I don't fucking care. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, at the time... They fired you. I, I, they fired do you know what? I, I pressed send on that tweet, and then I had a panic attack. Because <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I've just like ruined everything and blah, blah, blah. Right. Does your beloved pooch have a not-so-secret problem? Bad doggy breath? Not to worry. Introducing my very own Rosie's Puppy Fresh Breath. Just a splash in your dog's water bowl, and Rosie's Puppy Fresh Breath works its magic neutralizing bad breath, reducing tartar, and promoting better dental health. Vet approved, made with natural ingredients, and works to solve what causes bad breath in dogs. Rosie's Puppy Fresh Breath, because every tail wagging moment should be fresh and enjoyable. Get yours today on Amazon. Uh, And I I left my phone, and I went uh, into my room, and I was just like, what have I done? Uh, Blah, blah, blah. And then... I got my shit together and about an hour and a half later, I went back to my phone and I looked at it and it had absolutely blown up, but it had blown up in the most positive way possible. And this kind of, I've said it before, there's like tsunami of love just came from around the world from all these people. Hundreds of thousands. It was crazy. And it didn't stop. That was the thing about it. It just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And, uh, eventually, I got a call later that weekend from a guy called Peter Roth, who was head of, mm. head of Warner Brothers TV. Who Warner Brothers was our studio, and they made it for Fox. Um, and he said, "Tom, um, uh, like I want you to know, we're not ignoring all this kind of all this stuff that's happening on on social media. Um, we are going to try and do something about it." Um, and so I said, "What do you need me to do?" And he said, uh, "Can you get over here to LA? Um, you know." just to keep keep it kind of keep stoking the fire as it was so i got on i i, I got myself to heathrow airport and then i got to heathrow airport i had a a, a message from bbc newsnight now if anyone knows that's like, big the uk 
there's the news and then BBC Newsnight is a night is a nightly show that discusses the news in a very, very kind of like intellectual, you know, articulate like way. Like 60 minutes. Yeah, basically. And they said that they had noticed that, that they had been, you know, noticing what was happening on social media and blah, blah, blah about the show. Did I want to appear as a guest on the show to talk about that and to talk about television changing and all these things? And I was like, absolutely. So I got to LA and then I ended up doing like a, a, a studio bit back to London about this. And for the next kind of week and a half, two weeks, it just like this became like all I talked about and all people were asking me about. Um, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I'd sort of been tipped off from Peter that, that things were progressing well. And then we got the Netflix announcement and it was the most vindicating, wonderful experience <laughs> And I didn't feel quite so bad about pressing send on that tweet. You single-handedly did that. <laughs> you single-handedly no. brought back the show. I no. I, I, I mean, the the, I, the crazy thing is that I I'd already I already knew from like three years of doing press for the show that it really kind of started to spread. That people were loving this show, and not just in in the states, but like everywhere I was going to. And weirdly, now when I look back at it. Lots of Catholic countries. All the countries around the world that are Catholic are really into the show. Don't know why, but there we go. Right. Um, but um, well, they're fascinated by that. Kind they of are. Stuff. Yeah, they're fascinated they by are. that character, and you know, you know what the, their perception of the devil is, and what ours was. And but it was, it was when I heard it had been cancelled. I thought, oh, there's a lot of people who aren't going to be very happy about this. What I didn't realise that there was millions of people that were not happy about it and wouldn't let it go. And it was, I, you know, I use the word vindicating again, but it really was kind of like, I, I didn't, I, I wanted to think, I'm not going crazy. Like I'm doing all this press around the world for the first few years. I've been involved in things before and I know when something's popular and this felt incredibly popular, but it didn't feel like Fox ever recognized that for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, but it was popular. <laughs> yeah. And then it just grew and grew. Once it went on Netflix, it just exploded. Were you the one who told the rest of the cast or they already knew? Uh, I So people have been calling me saying, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? And I said- Amy. <laughs> yeah, Amy. Uh, <laughs> I just tell Amy, then she tell everyone else. Yeah. Um, I And I was basically like, look, I, Warner Brothers are trying to find a new home for it. That's what I know. And as soon as I know anything else, I'll let you know. But until then, just keep, you know, plugging away. Keep, keep plugging away, keep responding on Twitter, keep telling people to keep the faith, as it were. Um, you know, we're not going down, we're not going to just lie down and take it, sort of thing. Um, that's beautiful, and, it just never happens, yeah. And, it, and, and, and again, you know, I've been told by Peter Roth and other people, this never happens, this yeah. never happens, this never happens. But that weird sort of feeling that you were talking about before about your career and that same thing that I'd had, I'd had this kind of niggle that something was going to happen about it. And and it did. You know, I'll bring this back to me. <laughs> um, I had a show that got canceled in two seasons. And, and the, the ratings, if they were now, it would have been a big show. Mm -hmm. Like the ratings were pretty good. They were yeah. decent. They weren't, you know. But now if we had those ratings, that show would get five, six seasons. And we just got two. But I remember, you know, the head called me and he was awesome love Keith Cox and Keith was like, Hey, we're going more female centric and you know, we're not going to do the show anymore. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. And then I, uh, called the other producer and the creator and the producer's like, 
is can we find another home for it? Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't know. No one can, it just went away. And by the way, I didn't get millions of people going, oh my God, it was like, you know, yeah. 300, 300 people saying, hey, really, that sucks. I like that shit, you know. But I, even then, I had some hope going, hey, you know, this was a, this a pretty fun show, maybe. But the fact that the response, so in a, you know, as much as we could sit there and say, I hate social media, I hate, you know, we all do it, we're yeah. hypocrites and we do it, yet there's so many bad things facets of of social media but there are good facets you know there are Mm -hmm. good parts to it and you know this without social media this wouldn't have happened oh no without a shadow so and i'm the same as you like i have hugely mixed feelings about social media and i i again you know the more you're in the spotlight the less you want to use it is my feeling about it like i just i want to be private Mm-hmm. Um, and protect things privately. And I feel, feel like going on social media, you're just leaving yourself open to anything. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time, I wouldn't be here probably talking to you about this thing right now if it hadn't been for social media. There are huge positives to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I remember watching an interview with David Bowie back in 97, I think it was, and he, on BBC Newsnight. And he was talking about the internet. And he was talking about what an incredibly amazing thing it can be but also at the same time, what an incredibly what what a what a window of darkness it will open as well. Absolutely, and that's you know I'd say it's, the same thing about social media. Yep. Would you do a Lucifer revival if they said let's do a movie? We want to do a movie, a, a two-hour movie, mm-hmm. or one final thing. Is it something you would strongly consider, or you think, hey, this is let's put this to rest? I certainly feel like on the TV front, we've. We've, like I said before, we covered all bases. Um, I think that the only thing that would make me go back would be if it were a movie, um, and it would have to be good. That, that yeah. you know, it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. It would have to be, you know, we'd have to sign off on like what the script was and all those things because I feel like one of the one of the things that one of the weird things certainly about working over here is there's so much like when you're in somebody successful people just want more 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 whereas where i'm from you know leave them wanting more is the motto and it was never such a sort of financially commercially based industry back in the uk yeah so you don't you know miranda for example we only ever did 20 episodes in total and it's still iconic and it still has a an afterlife that people revisit um, but the reason we only did that many is because Miranda didn't want to do anymore and she didn't want to write anymore because it took so much out of her. She wrote all the episodes of it and she wow. felt like she'd done it. And, you know, to beat it around the head and dilute it as a product just for the sake of making more and more and more and more, she didn't want to do that. And I had so much respect for her for making that decision because the BBC were desperate for it. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I strongly believe that. Leave them wanting more. Yeah, you know? it's important. Um, when Netflix bought Lucifer, is was it sort of like, hey, if you guys want this to go for another three seasons, they're going to pay what you guys are making, but they're not going to give any advances, or, or were those th- things still worked out? <laughs> so we, on because the, if I were them, they want the show back. We're just not paying them anymore. This is you know, that's, really wanted, that's what happened. I figured that that's, that what, is, happened. that's what happened. We, uh, you know, without getting into it too much, I I stayed on the same contract for the whole time. Yeah, um, which. You know, I, <laughs> I. You weren't happy about I it. I wasn't happy about it. 
and is the reason that this, you know, this the strike and everything has happened and, and all of those things yeah. are like is to address the situation that I found myself in at the end of Lucifer. Um, and I'm not complaining about it, but I am glad that we are now as a union doing something about those situations never happening again. Yeah. Um, because I think people assume that it, because it's so successful now on Netflix, people assume that I am rich beyond my wildest dreams, which I am not. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, but I'm glad, you know, one of the great things about being over here as an actor is that the union is incredibly strong. And, um, you know, the, the step, the steps that they've been going through, uh, recently, um, is, is really, really important. And unfortunately for me, I would say something that would never happen back home, um, because the union isn't strong enough. And, you know, one of the things I think universally in this industry is we are always made to feel how lucky we are to be working. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, I think the payers sort of use that to their advantage. You're an actor. Yeah. You're a working actor. Yeah, you're a working actor. You you should be, you know, lucky, lucky, lucky. And it's like, I agree with you, but at a certain point, it's also my career and my, you know, this is how I support my family. My livelihood. And my and livelihood. Yeah. So, you know, I need it to be treated that way as well. Not just to kind of like, you look how lucky you are. Because uh, I yeah. don't, you know, I feel incredibly lucky that this is all happening for me. Yeah. But I also... You know, this is that's the chance I took. That's the chance I took when I started my career. And, you know, like anything in life, in success, you would like to be rewarded. Well, I always say if you're an integral part of something that becomes successful Mm -hmm. and you're an integral part of that, you absolutely deserve to be paid, compensated. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't understand why there's. Well, there's always, oh, we're not making it. There's always a reason. There's yeah. always a reason. And we don't have to get into that. But, you know, it's... I certainly as an artist, as a creative as well, I feel like that that is just, you know, your your work outlives you. Um, but to just be paid to do the work then, and then everyone else sort of like sees that work and you know, people start to gravitate towards it, 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 there needs to be some kind of like equitable way of, of working it out. Yeah, just, yeah, it can't be just like, well, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know how it's getting, it's getting no. a lot of views. We can't, how do we yeah. differentiate? I mean, I think they do know. They know. I think they, that's they, the they thing. Know. It's they just know. like, the, the, you know, they worked on a business model that all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, I think over time that business model has created what it's created. And now people have gone, well, the, the, the language that we're using is not relevant to this business model. But the job that we're doing is exactly the same. Yeah. So we think we need to catch up and, you know. What's next? Anyway. Uh, Anything that you're looking forward to? Yeah. I mean, I I shot something last year uh, called Washington Black for Hulu, um, which was an adaptation of a, of a wonderful novel of the same name. Um, and it, it's a big, extravagant costume drama um uh, set at the time of the end towards the end of slavery in the British, movie? British empire it's a nine part limited series wow uh with sterling k brown wow um and a whole host of other wonderful people charles dance played my dad in it which was incredible experience um and i'm really looking i've not seen a frame of it yet not a frame no, i haven't seen anything have you heard he's really great in it <laughs> I've, a couple of people have told me that that I know at Hulu, um, which is lovely. But I, you know, as an actor, you're like, you're whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> Everybody will say that. Yeah, exactly. let's, let's watch. I'm exactly. sure it's great. But I'm really looking forward to that coming out. And then my wife and I are working together. Um, 
on a couple of projects. Uh, and that is basically something that I'm really looking forward to doing because we worked together once before. I had a great experience. She's an incredible writer. Right. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where spinning lots of plates about family and geography and things like that, to be able to, you know, take that out of the equation on projects and still deliver something that's really good. Yeah. Um, feels like a huge sort of benefit. So, yeah. Is it Megan or Megan? Megan. Like, Megan. Like Reagan. Uh, I say it wrong all the time. My kids say it wrong Megan. all the time. Megan. Megan, like Reagan. Megan. M-E-A-G-H-A-N. And, I mean, you get this a million, but it really is Oppenheimer? It is, and she is related too. How so? I believe it is uh, her, It's so it, it will be a cousin because it's a great uncle's son. So a long distance cousin. There you go. So what did she think when she saw it? We haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, well. Well, there you go. No, the, no, for no particular reason. I've heard it's incredible. Um, I just, you know, we're, we are not the best, to be perfectly fair, at getting to the, the, the movies, darling. Like, maybe I'll screen it here one night. It should do. I do want to watch. I still do want to watch it on IMAX though, because I know you're meant to watch it. That I way. did. I watched it on that. I'm, I've got a terrible habit of watching movies that I should have watched on IMAX, but on planes. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I watched Avatar for the first time on the back of a night in a, a coach seat. You know, those tiny little monitors. Hey, do you do? Uh, lastly, do you do any impressions? Oh, do I do any impressions? Um, actually. I, I sort of I'd worked on my Charles dance a little bit when I was working with him. You know, he was um, he was in Game of Thrones. Which one was he? He's uh, Lannister, the 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 dad Lannister. You know. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. So Charles, I'm gonna close my eyes. So you know, he he would be talking a lot of the time, and um, it felt like he was cleaning cleaning stuff from his teeth all the time, Tom. But um, do you go to the gym, Tom? Are you one of those actors? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that what he does? Yeah. That's amazing. He's got this kind of like disapproving snarl all the time. But I I thankfully I got to know him really well and he's a teddy bear underneath Gosh, all of it. Gosh, he was so intimidating but and he, he died on the shitter. Oh he, yeah, he died on the shitter. Yeah. Him and Elvis. Him um, and Elvis. Yeah, no, I can't he he is incredibly intimidating. And again, one of those people when I started working with him, I was like my inner voice just going, I just want you to think I'm a good actor. Um, <laughs> I know we all want that. We, we all want deep him. down want somebody to go. Nah, he was really great. Yeah, he was great to work with. He was. You want a few things. You want somebody. You want to be likable. You want to be uh, giving mm -hmm. to your fellow actor. You want to. Um, you know, you just uh, sometimes like I worked with this guy Bill Fickner. You know him? I don't know that. Don't you know, know him. him if you saw him. Okay, he's been in everything. Um, but he wanted to meet me before they cast me in this movie I did like four years ago. And I was like, fuck. So the director's like, he wants to have lunch with you. So I went and had lunch with him. And he was just kind of really dry and, you know, and talked to me. And and then afterwards, the director said, hey, he thought you were really nice. I was like, oh, I thought he was going to be like, I don't want to work with this guy. <laughs> and then I worked with him, but I was always like trying to earn yeah. his. And I think by the end, by in, even in our first scene together, he goes, it's almost like he sighed. Like he, he goes, okay, you're good. Okay. You're here to play. You're good. Yeah, that and is I felt it. Like <clears> you <throat> I mean, have to prove it. That is a lovely feeling. You it know, is. That is a lovely it's feeling. A scary feeling. But it's really scary and you know intimidating and all of those things. And I think there's something about the blessing of your peers that is 
incredibly profound as an actor. I don't know what it is. I know. But, but because we all like to bitch about other people's performances, that's what it yeah. is. <laughs> God, that sucks. But, uh, uh, yeah, just that, yeah. This has been a, a treat. I, I really thank you for coming in. You're you're a delightful guest. You're oh, so you. insightful. I love the stories. I love the you just very open and um yeah. Well, you're very good at this, Mr. Rosenbaum. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. this. Was awesome. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I loved him, and I didn't think I thought he'd be a little bit more shy. I think I thought he'd be a little more reserved, and he was just freaking cool thank you tom ellis man i I had a blast with you uh i don't know if i'll ever hear from you again but uh he was great he came over the house and he was i don't know if you did it a favor for tom welling because tom made the initial introduction yeah yeah. most of the time i get my own guests but you know a lot of times like you know Kristen ritter introduced me to carrie ann moss and Mm -hmm. you know uh skeet and um so you have friends that help you out you know, I don't sit there and go, oh, could you, you know, but if they go, oh, I know so-and-so, I wonder, I go, yeah, sure. Whatever you can do, because you have to entertain. Thank you, Kristen Ritter. A little shout out to Kristen. A little shout out to Tom Welling, Wellington. And uh, that's it, man. If you didn't listen to the intro, I don't know what else to tell you. Join Patreon today and support the podcast uh, a little more than just listening, uh, which is awesome. But go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash inside of you and uh support the podcast so we can keep going and give you good episodes give you good content you know sometimes i I, you know i was watching this intro ryan Mm. to another person's podcast and i like the person and then i was like he gets so many you know he gets really big numbers in this and i was like stop it stop comparing yourself stop comparing yourself to this and and then i started thinking well i think i'm a better interviewer than that person why are they and i said i'm like stop this person does their thing. You do your thing. And some people like what you do and people like what that. And I was comparing myself. And I was like, no, you're not going to do that. I stopped myself. I said, good for that person and good for me. The world is lucky. It was the longest YouTube comment you've ever left. No. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but anyway. But I, I like this person. Good. And I like their content. Good. But it, sometimes it surprises me that some people get... You know, so many viewers. What are they doing? I, maybe I don't. Uh, maybe I'm not uh, funny enough. I don't. I'm not personable enough. You're compelling. Well, That's I good, guess. right? I guess so. I don't know. Maybe I'm boring. Am I boring? What? <laughs> Ryan, you fucking asshole. <laughs> mm. Oh boy! Don't compare yourself ever. But I'm just admitting that I did. So sorry. I won't do it again. Uh, All right. Thank you so much. All my love. We're going to give a shout out to the top tier patrons now who we love and adore. And without them, we couldn't do this podcast. And here they are. The first reading of the year. Make sure you join Nancy D, Lee and Kristen, little Lisa, Yukiko, Yukiko. How would you sing Yukiko as a song? Yukiko, where you want. You can go where you like, Yukiko. It's like a Guns N' Roses B-side. Is that what that is? Like Yukiko, like Yukiko, but Yukiko, you can go. You can go. Yukiko, where you want to. (laughs) Yukiko, where you like. All right, sorry. Jill E., Brian Hennenkamp. You got to go to 80s concert, man. 
Nico P. I hope uh, Zachary's doing all right. Robert B. Jason W. Sophie M. Raj C. Jennifer N. Stacy L. Jamal F. Janelle B. Mike E. L. Don Supremo. Ninety nine more. Santiago M. Leanne P. Ryan, you want to read a couple? Sure. Maddie S. Belinda N. Dave H. Wait, wait. Dave H. Dave H. Hello, Michael. Sorry, Dave H. Dave, I hope you had a nice New Year, Dave. And really, then. really enjoyed you. Hopefully, you ha- wait. It's I'm not doing it really well. Hold on. Dave, oh, I hope you had a good. I hope you had a good New Year, Dave. It's been really nice, Michael. I am. It's terrible. I'm sorry, <laughs> but Dave, you're awesome. Go ahead. <laughs> Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Talia M, Betsy D, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Brandy D, Eugene and Leah, <gasps> Corey Mel S, Christine S, Eric H, and Shane R. Christine S, Mel S, Eric H, Shane R. That's right. Andrew M, Amanda R, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Jorel, Jam and J, Leanne J, Luna R, Mike F, Stone H. Brian L, Jules M, Kendall L, Jessica B, Kyle F, Marisol P, Marisol, Kaylee J, Brian A, Marion Louise L, Romeo the Band, Frank B, Jen T, Nikki L, April R, Randy S, JDW, Oral P, Oral B, Toothbrushes, mm-hmm. Rachel D, Melissa H, Nick W, Stephanie and Evan, Charlene A, Don G, Jenny B, John, Jennifer R, Tina E, NG Tracy, Junie. Um, do we have less top tier patrons? Does it seem a little less? I don't know. I'm going to count them right now. One, two. No, I'm not going to count them. But uh, hey, thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Um, it is awesome. It is really awesome that you do that and you continue to do so. Some of these people have been here for years supporting this podcast, and I guess they see something in it for them that helps. Or they appreciate it. I guess that's, and I appreciate them. But to to be a patron, to give a certain amount of money every month to something like a subscription to like like a Hulu or whatever, uh, to do that for a podcast, something's got to be going right. Maybe it's they feel a family, sort of a connection. Um, they uh, like the content. What, what do you think it is, Ryan? Uh, probably all of the above. Could be all of the above. I don't have a specific answer. I'm sorry. That's okay. Guys, thank you for listening to the podcast today. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. I hope you join us every week. I hope you, hopefully you enjoyed Tom Ellis. I enjoyed Ryan right here. Um, and uh, all my love to you from the Hollywood Hills and Hollywood, California. I am Michael Rosenbaum. I am Ryan Taylor. Little I'm way, here too. Wave to the camera. You're here too, right? I'm here too. <laughs> was so, kind of. That was so like just like I'm, I'm here too. I'm half here. My brain went somewhere else. Yeah, it's your not brain gonna went go. somewhere. My else. bad. It's the new year, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, be good to yourself. Be good to yourself. Let's do it right. Let's. You're gonna make mistakes. Things are gonna happen that you're like you're upset with yourself about. You're not keeping to your resolution, to your list, to your. Just try to do the best you can and try to be healthy. And uh, that's all I can tell you. All right. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. I hope you're here. And uh, goodbye, Ryan. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.